one really can't ignore the rapidly expanding influence of the People's Republic of China, the PRC, in Africa, and that's across the entire dime spectrum. And when I say the dime spectrum, that's talking about the diplomatic, informational, military, and economic sectors. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Battlefield Next, the JAG Corps' podcast devoted to the application of law to the future of armed conflict. Today, we are joined by Major Thomas Darenforth, who is a foreign area officer currently assigned to the United States Africa Command, where he serves as a desk officer for Kenya, Tanzania, Sudan, and South Sudan. Major Darenforth is a West Point graduate and holds a master's degree in international policy from the Elliott School at George Washington University. Today, I talked to him about his recently published article, Beijing's Blue Helmets, What to Make of China's Role in UN Peacekeeping in Africa, which comments on China's growing influence in Africa. Sir, Major Darenforth, uh, good morning. I know it's a little later in the day for you, so good afternoon. Uh, in Africa, I'm over in Germany, but thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks for taking the time to impart a little bit of knowledge on the JAG Corps and the Army as a whole uh, about yourself, uh, your role in Africa, and, and also Chinese influence in Africa. Thanks so much for having me, and actually, good evening from Stuttgart, Germany. Uh, it really is an honor to be here and to share some information about my background uh, my experiences and a little bit of my research on uh, on China's increased role in in Africa. Awesome, sir. So, what I want to start out with is just a little bit about yourself, your background, who you are, and and where you're from. Thanks a lot. Again, I'm Major Tom Darenforth. I'm from Shakarawa, New Hampshire, which is just a little village of about four or five hundred people up in northern New Hampshire. Any any covered uh, any covered bridges up there? Sir? Oh yes, yes <laughs> we got plenty plenty of covered bridges and mountains and lakes. It's uh, northern New Hampshire is a, a beautiful area, and that's where I'm from, and that's where I grew up uh, all the way until I went to West Point when I was 18. Um, did my four years at West Point, commissioned uh, into the Army uh, as a second lieutenant in the Artillery Corps. Um, did my first about seven or eight years of active duty as a field artillery officer. That included a, uh, an assignment as lieutenant and captain at Joint Base Lewis-McChord out in Washington State. Had the opportunity to do two combat deployments to Iraq, uh, one in 2007 into 08, and a second in 2009 into, into 10. Um, and those are really my formative years in the Army. Had the opportunity to go back to West Point and serve as an instructor for a few years, uh, teaching military tactics to the cadets. And it's from there that I made the transition into the Foreign Area Officer Corps. Uh, and I've been a FAO since 2014. And sir, what was that spark to becoming a FAO, to becoming a Foreign Area Officer? Where can you, can you point to a moment or, or some assignments that you said, hey, this is something that would be interesting and this is something that, that I'd want to pursue? Yes, I, I really look back at my deployments to Iraq, especially the, the deployment to Baghdad during the surge in 2007 and, and into 2008. I had the opportunity to work very closely with Iraqi partners. Uh, these are these are civilian leaders, political leaders, uh, and also local military commanders. I worked with them every day, and, and the focus of my job was to build peace and security in an area just north of Baghdad, uh, and 
to hope to to help minimize the um, the impact of combat operations. And it's from working with Iraqi security forces that really gave me that spark uh, about being interested in working with other partners. And that's a big reason why I chose to be a foreign area officer. And I really wanted to be a FAO to work with foreign partners and to serve on the military's diplomatic side. I was interested in building relationships with partners and using those strong relationships with foreign military partners to address contemporary security challenges while helping to advance U.S. interests um, and peace and prosperity for both the U.S. and our partners. And so, sir, you kind of started talking about it a little bit there, but but can you tell our audience or share uh, with our audience a little bit about w- what it is that, that a FAO does um, not only on that operational strategic level, but but day-to-day, what is it that a foreign area officer does? Well, first of all, FAOs come from all four branches. They're not just from the Army. They're from the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and we are regionally focused experts in political and military operations. FAOs are expected to possess a combination of strategic focus, regional expertise, uh, language capacity, political, cultural, economic understanding, geographic awareness, um, and, and all of that we're supposed to do in our assigned region. And for me, my assigned region is, uh, is Africa. And for FAOs, we, we actually serve in a variety of different, different roles. Typically, we're found at United States embassies abroad. One role is as a military attache. Oh, that, that's in a U.S. embassy. Another is as a security assistance officer, also an embassy-based assignment. And the third most typical role is as a political military planner at a military headquarters. For example, that's the current role that I'm in at US Africa Command, where I'm a pull mill planner focused on East Africa. So the primary role of a FAO is to serve as the armies or even the Department of Defense's representative in a foreign country, working alongside State Department diplomats and other representatives of the US government. And in embassies, we help implement national defense policies, we advance security interests, we build and strengthen those key military relationships. We also serve as key advisors to build capacity in our partner militaries. So for me, my my career has taken me from uh, being a a FAO trainee, where I spent a year at the Defense Language Institute learning French, had the opportunity then to do my in-region time based out of Abidjan, Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. Uh, and then most recently, I did nearly a three-year assignment as an army attache in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Thanks, sir. And, and that current role now, um, assigned and, and as I understand it, it really embedded in, in Africa, in Stuttgart, Germany. Can you describe a little bit about that current role? Yeah, so again, I'm a political military planner uh, within the U.S. AFRICOM J5, uh, I oversee defense engagement programs and strategy in East Africa. Specifically, my current portfolio includes Kenya, Tanzania, uh, Sudan, and South Sudan. Overall, I help the combatant commander and the AFRICOM staff translate policy and national strategy into a feasible defense approach within the region to improve bilateral defense relations and advance mutual security objectives with our partners. Sir, I wanna switch gears a little bit and now dive into your article that was uh, recently published with West Point's Modern War Institute. Uh, You cite Africa as China's second continent. Could you shed some light on the Chinese influence and presence across Africa? Yes, 
one really can't ignore the rapidly expanding influence of the People's Republic of China, the PRC, in Africa, and that's across the entire dime spectrum. And when I say the dime spectrum, that's talking about the diplomatic, informational, military, and economic sectors. So right now, China's influence um, includes their augmented diplomatic relations with various African countries and the African Union. Uh, the PRC has expanded military to military cooperation with a variety of African partners. Additionally, on the security side, uh, China established their first ever overseas base in 2017 in Djibouti in East Africa, very strategic decision made by the People's Republic of China. Uh, additionally, the uh, PRC influence in Africa includes the proliferation of what we call state-owned enterprises across the continent. And China's investment in Africa is truly evident through uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. This is a massive infrastructure inv investment projects, not just in Africa, but across the world. And within Africa, this, this examples of BRI investment include deep water ports, railways, roads, bridges, airports, et cetera. And even most recently, the People's Republic of China's influence is seen through its COVID-19 diplomacy. So across the entire dime spectrum, the PRC is very involved in Africa. Sir, so your, your article also mentions the addition of PRC personnel to UN peacekeeping missions. Is this, is this unusual? And, and if so, why? Well, in terms of the PRC's peacekeeping presence, it, it is a little unusual considering China's role as a member of the Permanent Five on the UN Security Council, alongside the United States, the United Kingdom, France, and, and Russia. The PRC's contribution to actual peacekeeping troops dwarfs that of other P5 contributing countries. In fact, of, of all countries in the world that contribute to UN peacekeeping, uh, it's 122 different donor countries, China is actually the world's ninth leading contributor with over 2,500 peacekeepers currently deployed worldwide. And to put that number in perspective, the PRC has 2,500 peacekeepers deployed. Right now, the United States has about 31 peacekeepers deployed worldwide, while Russia has about 61. Another, another interesting note on PRC peacekeepers is that they represent a diverse cross-section of the People's Liberation Army. So these, these peacekeepers, specifically in Africa, are, yes, some are combat troops, but the vast majority are force protection personnel or medical personnel, military engineers, logisticians, and staff officers. So these various troops uh, are deployed to some of the UN's most dangerous operations. And I think that's very interesting to note, uh, specifically the four largest UN operations in Africa with Chinese peacekeeping presence uh, include the UN missions in the Democratic Republic of Congo, UN mission in South Sudan, the UN mission in Darfur, Sudan, and the UN mission in Mali. So the PRC's rapid increased participation in UN peacekeeping cannot be ignored. And what, what, uh, uh, what should the US or should the US be concerned with this increasing 2,500 person UN peacekeeping presence? Uh, you said it's something that can't be ignored. Should the US concern itself with that uh, large number, relatively large number, sir? Well, it is interesting. And, and the, the number 2,500 does bring up a key question. It, it's why. Why are, why are 2,500 uh, troops currently in such places as, as Eastern Congo or Juba or Darfur or, or Central Mali? Um, I, I think we have to look at what the PRC's interests are at stake. And I've already discussed 
China's Belt and Road Initiative, but looking at the Belt and Road Initiative and looking at Chinese interests in Africa, uh, it, it's clear to see that China's increased commitment to UN peacekeeping must be viewed through a lens of, of realism and not through the belief that you know, China is in Africa with peacekeepers through uh, humanitarian reasons. But this is not really that abnormal. In fact, research indicates that countries that deploy UN peacekeepers abroad are doing it to accomplish their own interests, their own agendas, their own foreign policy goals. And they do that under the very legitimizing cover of the UN flag and UN peacekeeping. So for China, UN peacekeeping operations in Africa offers a legal and normalized means to accomplish its goals. And the way I look at it is, is China's using UN peacekeeping to accomplish three, three goals. First, they want to protect their massive investment in Africa. Second, they're, they're doing these deployments to obtain much needed hard and soft power military skills. And third, China wants to enhance its reputation as a benevolent rising superpower actively engaged in the world, in the international community, and in the UN system. Sir, can you uh, expand a little bit on, on each of those three uh, initiatives or, or, or reasons that, that, that China has for an increasing uh, UN presence? It sounds like while there may, all, there may be humanitarian reasons, uh, a lot of times they're tied up um, or, or potentially overcome by other more practical reasons? Yes, well, first, uh, with uh, investment protection. So peacekeep, uh, PRC peacekeepers enable China to safeguard its investments. So while these blue helmets, as they're called, while these peacekeepers in Africa don't directly guard Chinese infrastructure and investments, the presence of these peacekeepers in conflict zones helps to prevent conflict proliferation across borders. For example, the PRC has over 1,000 peacekeepers in South Sudan. Uh, that, that presence in South Sudan not only contains the conflict uh, in South Sudan, but it also prevents conflict spillover into neighboring countries like Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia. All three of those neighboring countries are home to some of China's largest belt and road initiative investments in East Africa. The second was uh, obtaining military skills. These are both hard and soft military skills that, that China desires. And unlike the United States and our NATO partners with decades of hard-earned combat experience in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, China's last real combat experience was in 1979 in a very short-lived border dispute with Vietnam. So to address their lack of operational experience, the PRC uses UN peacekeeping as a low risk avenue to obtain these, these needed military skills and experience. And, and when I say these military skills, I'm thinking about how to train, how to deploy, how to sustain operations, share information, gather info and intelligence, redeploy your forces back to home country. And these are skills that we and our NATO partners after decades of combat operations have, have just taken for granted. And these are, these are skills that China is trying to develop. And peacekeeping in Africa does allow the PRC to project its power abroad and feel out this new role it sees itself in as a rising global power. And then lastly is enhancing their reputation. So China uses its participation in UN peacekeeping to build its brand as a benevolent country committed to peace and security. And it continues to do this while upholding its constant mantra of non-interference. 
So troop co contributions from the PRC do help to create favor with African governments. That's that's something that has been seen. And, and these same African governments often negotiate very friendly belt and road initiative contracts with the, the Chinese government or even the Chinese state-owned enterprises. And there are some obvious examples here. Again, looking at South Sudan and their oil sector. Uh, and another example is in Eastern Congo. In the Democratic Republic of Congo, it's home to cobalt and coltan and really the majority of our world's rare earth minerals. Coincidentally, both of those countries, South Sudan and Congo, have enormous investment, both economically and through peacekeeping, uh, by the People's Republic of China. Sir, at least in, in those two countries, uh, it would seem that that these initiatives are, are working. Is that your assessment across the whole of Africa and, and uh, that, that these, these Chinese uh, initiatives are working? Or, or in other words, what is the perspective of the African nations that uh, China is working with? Yeah, so as far as if it's working, um, I, I, would say, I would say yes. Overall, China's strategy to, uh, to accomplish these three key areas in protecting their investment, obtaining military skills, enhancing its reputation. Yeah, they do seem to be to be achieving that. As the PRC strengthens its bilateral and multinational cooperation, it's increasing oversight and protection of its economic investments. And also by, by focusing its peacekeeping presence on these mostly non-combat operations. Remember I mentioned logisticians, military engineers, uh, military medical professionals. By doing that, Beijing is, is really advancing their long-term military reform goals, while at the same time, they're obtaining key lessons learned in a low-risk peacekeeping environment. And what is the expected U.S. position uh, in, in response, if any, um, to, to increased Chinese presence? Well, the, the question for, uh, for the U.S. and for, for like-minded countries is, is if as if it matters. Does it matter that China is spending money uh, using its investment and using its resources to increase its, its presence in UN peacekeeping? And I've already mentioned that people deploy to, countries deploy to UN peacekeeping missions uh, out of self-interested agendas. And, and Beijing's approach is, is no different. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, so yes, the, the PRC achieves its economic, military, and reputational goals but at the same time, the, the UN peacekeeping is, is better funded, better trained, better manned to carry out uh, today's complex missions. And that, that is on the, on the overall a good thing. However, uh, again, from a Western perspective, it is key that the international community is clear-eyed regarding the motivations behind the PRC's increased support to the UN system. Uh, deploying peacekeepers to safeguard one's own investment and bolster one's own reputation really can't be considered anything short of, of interference, which again, counters this continued PRC narrative uh, as being a major proponent of non-interference. So yeah, China is indeed using this legitimizing cover of UN peacekeeping operations to uh, obtain resources, win friends, build relationships, develop skills and capabilities that could very much be employed someday on, on other battlefields against its great power rivals. And on the other end of the spectrum, is there room for any coordination or cooperation uh, between the U.S. and Western allies and China in Africa? In short, yes. Yes, there is some overlap. There are always opportunities for increased collaboration and cooperation. Now, that's if the parties are truly focused on enhancing regional peace, prosperity, and security. 
Uh, now, overlap does exist where mutual interests meet. And for example, both the United States and the PRC have their own agendas, as I've discussed. They have their own interests in Africa. And often these agendas are not in sync with one another. However, there are a couple areas where, where in this case, there, there is some key overlap. First is with countering violent extremist organizations. That's a huge tenant of not only U.S. Africa Command, but it's a huge tenant of many of our NATO partners as they uh, conduct presence in Africa. So eliminating transnational extremism networks is important. It's, it's important for everyone. It protects the homeland. It protects investments. It bolsters regional security. And all of this does at the same time support our African partners' ability to improve peace and security. So there's an interest in countering transnational crime, countering violent extremist organizations, and that interest is most likely shared by both, yes, the People's Republic of China and the United States. Uh, a second area I would say is, is infrastructure development. Uh, and with infrastructure development, the first thing I think about in terms of the PRC is the Belt and Road Initiative. And if infrastructure development is done in a non-predatory manner, um, you know, then the PRC's BRI investment in infrastructure could even complement many of the efforts that are being conducted in Africa by, by other partners, by other countries. And these complementary efforts can help allow local economies and markets to take root and foster an environment where African partners are no longer dependent on foreign aid uh, to survive. So, sir, in, in some, it's uh, some limited opportunities for overlap, but uh, as you mentioned, so long as uh, the U.S. keeps its eyes open and keeps its eyes clear as to uh, true intentions of the PRC. Exactly right. Uh, the United States, the international community must remain clear-eyed about uh, motivations for all uh, powers, but specifically the People's Republic of China. Uh, and as long as we understand motivations and reasoning behind foreign policy decisions, uh, it will create uh, smarter decisions for all. Well, sir, a uh, sincere thank you for joining us on, on Battlefield Next today. Um, I've got one more question for you, which is, if there was someone new to the Army, uh, and they were asking you whether you would recommend that they pursue a, a path as a, as a foreign area officer, what would you, what would you tell them? Well, that's a, I'd have to give you a biased answer right there, I'd say, <laughs> of course. Um, I, I have had a wonderful experience for the last seven years as a FAO. Um, I can't think of a uh, a better experience and a more fulfilling experience. Uh, to be a, a junior field grade officer uh, based out of a, an embassy in Central Africa, having the opportunity to, on a daily basis, uh, engage with partners at the ministerial level, at the general officer level, colonels, chiefs of operations, chiefs of training, chiefs of defense, um, and not only do this, but do this while trying to implement uh, US foreign policy and security uh, objectives. And on top of that, to do it in a foreign language. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's quite a rush. It's a lot of fun. Um, and seeing it all come together, understanding how the national security strategy is the guiding document that supports the combatant commands and really the whole of government interagency process, understanding how that works, and then go, being the person on the ground that has the opportunity to help implement it. I can't think of a better job. And I really do love being a fail. Well, Thank you, sir. Uh, I'm going to have to talk to you about uh, about your French after this uh, episode is over. Uh, <laughs> but a sincere thank you. Uh, you can find Major Darren Forth's article at the 
at West Point's Modern War Institute, and that was Beijing's Blue Helmets, what to make of China's role in UN peacekeeping in Africa. Um, thanks again, sir, uh, for being part of this podcast, and, and happy holidays to you in, in Germany and, and in Africa. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the invitation. Interested in providing material to the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate? Reach out to us via Twitter or LinkedIn at JAGFCD, or visit our website at tjaglix.army.mil forward slash FCD. That's tjaglcs.army.mil forward slash FCD. Always on the lookout for the next guest, topic, or discussion. As always, the views expressed on the podcast are the views of the participants and do not necessarily represent those of the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School, the United States Army, the Department of Defense, or any other agency of the United States government. Reference in this podcast to any specific commercial product, process, or service, or the use of any trade, firm, or corporation name is for the information and convenience of the public and does not constitute endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by the Department of Defense. For the JAG Corps' Future Concepts Directorate, I am Captain Justin Command. Thanks for joining us on Battlefield Next. <laughs>